And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So this week, I get to discuss one of my favorite television programs of all time, and that is the 1966 Batman television series. Uh, I loved this as a kid. I watched every episode, and I loved it so much that I don't consider myself an artist, but this really awoke the muse inside of me, because at that point, Crayola crayons were my preferred artistic medium of choice, and I remember drawing the characters. I have a, a King Tut, uh, a <laughs> which is one of the lesser-known villains, but he was the one that I remember uh, Joker, the Riddler. I, I have all this stuff. It really did something to me. And I realized that I not only did, did this do something to me, but it did something to the industry. Every superhero movie television program owes a debt of gratitude to this television series because it really blazed the trail, uh, the effects of which can still be felt today with the success of the modern Marvel movies. You know, there was still conversations about Batman. Who's the greatest Batman of all time? They're going on today, whether Robert Pattinson and the new Batman movie is going to hold up to uh, Ben Affleck or, uh, you know, Michael Keaton. Who can hold a candle to Michael Keaton? But it all goes back to Adam West. And that's what we're going to talk about today because it's very important to understand just how important and influential this television series was. And I've chosen the expert on this particular topic, and that is Robert Garcia, who wrote the coffee table book, Batman, a celebration of the classic television series. So we're going to get right into this because we've just passed the 55th anniversary of the premiere of this program. And that was on, I believe it was January 12th, 1966. Is that correct, Robert? Yeah, it's the it's first, uh, it was during this, uh, they were advertising it during the Super Bowl, which was a lot earlier in the year. Oh, wow. But yeah, it was January. January um, uh, 66 that it uh, got released. Well, I, you know, I didn't know they, they, they advertised during the Super Bowl. That's great. I imagine the ad prices were a little bit less back then. I, everything was a little bit less back then. But, yeah, it was uh, – uh, uh, that was one of the odd things about the launch of this, this uh, show. ABC put a lot of money behind it. They put a lot of money behind um, – uh, uh, it was a mid-season replacement. It wasn't. It wasn't their first thing. It was. It was designed. It was originally designed to to come out in the fall season of '66, uh, uh, and um, their midsummer replacement or their uh, you know their their interim replacement thing just collapsed. All this, they released four shows that tanked, and they uh, they just grabbed Batman and said, "You're going in." We're going to. Sh- it caused production problems like crazy because a normal production they only started in like uh, October or November of '65, and they, you know, and it's a it's a really cost heavy heavy production heavy uh, back end heavy post production um, uh, show, and all of a sudden they were thrown into a uh, like a whirlwind at uh, uh, ABC to get the, the, the show finished, wrapped, and out in January. 
and um, so it was uh, it was quite a different thing. I mean, it, 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 it wouldn't happen today, but it was quite a stunner to everybody how fast from the pilot was completed to the pickup to the actual putting it out was an extremely short period of time. When October, November, December, and then January, that's that's that doesn't happen. You know, it didn't happen then, and right. especially for a show this big. Yeah, I mean, that's not that short of a turnaround nowadays. But, I mean, I think when oh, you've no. got everyone kind of geared up, they're like, this is going to come out in the fall. And from what I understand, you know, this was, was on ABC, uh, and their kind of fall lineup was kind of – crappy i mean they, they kind of all their shows tanked and needed to put something on the air and what's actually fun is we're going to talk about some of the the fun things from the show but you hit on a couple highlights that i thought were really interesting is number one this was kind of a brand new thing in general it's a superhero show um it's coming on in prime time uh they've got a whole new approach to to the show it's not something anything's been on the air before it's got very very expensive you got special effects and everything is unique i mean you know i i, I don't want to go into it right now we're to talk about a little bit later, but even the Batmobile, you had to turn around a brand new style of Batmobile um, in, in just a couple of weeks, and it put everyone kind of in a bind, but that was kind of what was fun about it, was that it was just kind of thrown on the air, and then, um, you know, it, it even didn't even, it wasn't even supposed to be successful, they tested it, and it wasn't very successful, there, there's a lot of really cool things here, I think, you know, kind of what I want to get to is, what is the secret sauce of this show, right, because... In in a lot of ways, I'm a big Batman fan. I always have been, you know. And and this Batman, the Batman from the TV series, is very different than the Batman we think of today, which in oh, a definitely. lot of ways is kind of what is kind of what causes it to have very little respect paid for, you know, it as a as a part of television history and as part of Batman history. But in a lot of ways, the Batman TV show paved the way for a lot of what's going on now. I mean, it was there were several other iterations of the show that it had been on before. There's Batman and Robin and I think there was one there's one in like the 40s and and this show really captured everything. It really translated the comic book at the time and there's a lot of stuff that it introduced in the mythos of Batman that are still going on today. So why do you think, you know, as a matter of fact, before I, before I ask this question, one of the things that I found was really interesting is that the Batman comic book was almost discontinued in the 60s, and this television show really is what saved it and also paved the way for other shows like Wonder Woman in the 70s and, and uh, Incredible Hulk, which are both Marvel shows, and then you know the, the Superman right. movies. Right. So why do you think this doesn't get the respect it deserves, given how much that it's done? Oh, because it's funny. Because it's 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 done. It's 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 comedy doesn't get Academy Awards. You know, it's not it's not interesting to write about something that makes you laugh. You just think that that's easy. It's not. Uh, you can just take a look at the first season of Batman and the last season of Batman, and you can see the the, the wide difference of what what uh, uh, why that show worked and why it became so popular very quickly. Yes. Um, the. Um, uh, it's it's kind of you, you got to understand what. I can tell you about its initial popularity, and then we can talk about staying popularity. Okay, let's do that because it's two separate things. The the um, initial popularity was um, uh, television at that time was trying to figure out what it was doing and what it could do in a world of feature films. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. 
a lot of money went into feature films, and and television was the 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 second child. It was oh, you go on television, your career career shot. You know, it, it's all that type of thing. And the um, so television started. It, it, the guy who initially wanted to, to who, who initially started the program that would would bring Batman to um, uh, ABC was an ABC exec who wanted to to, to emulate the money coming from. Um, uh, spy movies from James Bond. Last uh, 65 was this big, huge money-making year, and they wanted to get in on it. And he tried to get uh, something. You know, he was trying to, to figure out what he could do, pitching it at, at uh, ABC, and and uh, uh, they were like, no, no. And and so he went off, and he went to another network and created Get Smart, which was bang mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. year before Batman, hugely popular. Right. Similar style, by the way, a similar comedic style as well. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's exact, well, that's the same guy who had the idea for both of it. So uh-huh. his partner, Doug Kramer, who was also at ABC, um, these guys are all young guys, remember. They're all probably in their 20s. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of not the network heads. They're not the network executives. I mean, uh, um, ABC was the third-rated network, so they tried every stunt show that they, they could. They, they had the Adams Family. They had other things. So, but the television as, as a whole field was was doing a lot of send-ups of of classic tropes, and you you had um, the uh, uh, F Troop, you had you had Get Smart, you had uh, the Munsters, you had the I mean, you had this whole long line of of uh, parody shows on television right now. So th- at the, at this time. So people were used to it. It was something that they turned into to laugh at, and it was fun. They enjoyed it. They, they had decent ratings. They lasted three or four seasons, I mean. So the uh, so you have a, an audience that's pretty well primed for it. And you have um, a, a whole bunch of unique circumstances around at that time. Fox Studios, Fox 20th Century Fox, was pretty much going broke. There was nobody being able to put, they couldn't mount a production. They had mounted uh, big big uh, productions, and they lost a ton of money. So what you had is Fox was going bust, and a guy named William Self took it over and said, we can do television. You take a look at that era in, in television history, where it's starting to switch from black and white small productions to larger color productions, and you see that um, it, it, this Batman could not have taken place at any other time in, in, in television history except right then and there because Fox just had all this stuff they needed to produce this show. And so when someone comes to them with a script that says, we need a costume, that of a, you know, we need costume criminals, we need costume heroes, we need this, they just go to their costume department. They go talk to, to the two guys with the most theatrical Experience uh, Pat Bartow and Jack Martin. I think no, that's not Jack Martin. I can't remember this guy who was the the customer for the men, and they were able to just whole cloth in five to ten days produce costumes. Um, so you had a lot of value on the screen when Batman hit, and you had a lot of advertising hype behind it because ABC had just had a failed second season and was willing to throw money at something to make a big splash. And that's why you see all these early Batman ads that say, and in color, you know, because 
they didn't launch shows in color right then and there. No, no. In short, so in in short, just so I understand, so the Fox, so the the Fox, the film studio wasn't really into television at the time, and they really had the power of film and the money of the ABC to put on a great show that was kind of in the vein creatively of the zeitgeist uh, going on at the time. Right. Right, and they did it. They did it better than anybody else. The Batman TV show benefited from it. They said, "I need a bat boat in this script." Well, we can we can build. We can get one built for you. Um, they can design it and send it off to a customizer. I mean, it, and no other, no one else is going to walk into a into a studio and 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 say, "Well, we this is the budget for all the the, the toys we want to have, and have you know we don't need to build a bat cave." I mean, they, they used new technology to build the bat cave. It was polyurethane spray that. Went on years later to be to make the uh, Planet of the Apes villages. So anyway, that, that's the that's that's the initial kick. It was a big splashy opening, lots of money behind it, uh, a funny show, a smart show, and uh, and and they all looked like what the kids read in the comic books. They were all dressed in the costumes. They acted like the comic book villains, and the kids ate it up, and the parents snickered. While they were watching it and had a good time. I think one of the things that's important to point out there, and I think this is what people don't understand about the show, is it, in fact, was a faithful translation of comic books to the screen. And I think when you're looking at comic books now, you know, we've gone through, especially since the 80s, everything's a lot darker and everything's a little more adult. And most comic books are actually, you know, geared towards adults. You know, <laughs> when I was a kid, they were geared towards kids. And now they're really geared towards young adults and adults. And that's what why this was so great. I mean, even the POW and the Zaps, which has a great story I want to get into, you know, that was all from the comic books. Even the intro, as I was watching the intro, I realized that except for the handshake between Batman and and Robin and in the beginning it's not an animated opening it's all stills like you would see reading a comic book and that really struck me uh, that they were really trying to capture what was in the comic books at the time and then translating it to film and they did it very very well yes the 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 mantra of the of the the first season in particular and when they were developing it is is that the uh we, it, that's why they they use comic books as launching points for their storylines in the first season. They they actually went in and, and took a Riddler plot. They went in and took a, this plot into that plot and, and tried to translate it to the screen. The same the same gimmick as you see in not gimmick, but the same uh, uh, dedication trying to keep faithful to the comic book as uh, the Batman animated ser- series years later, where they actually lifted it. They actually did an animated version of that comic then. This they didn't quite do it that faithfully, but they did try to keep. I mean, try to to do everything. But again, remember they made costumes in the comic books, ca- copied them. I mean, the Riddler costume didn't look like that until Frank Gorshin wore it, and then it showed up in the comics. The, the uh, Catwoman changed her costume to match Julie Newmar's. I mean, the TV show was so popular, they the comic book had to respond that way. Yeah, well, you know what's interesting? Because you mentioned some things there, and I was going to talk about this later, but I think that I, I want to make sure we fit this in, because one of the things that really struck me about the Batman TV show is that there were so many things it actually introduced into the Batman mythos. Um, you know, the climbing up the wall thing was in- incredibly unique to the TV show. Aunt Harriet, which I thought was very unique. This is a funny story because it's such a, a product of the time. But Aunt Harriet, I thought uh, William Dozier in one interview says he made up Aunt Harriet 
so that um, Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne didn't look like homosexuals, which is so funny because that's something that would have concerned them at the time. And now today you would have wanted them to be to. Uh... Well, well, actually, that's a myth. That's not true. And you can read different interviews. By, but the thing about uh, he was ticked off that people thought that uh, that was what he was doing with it, with the, so they would be homosexuals. That, you know, that, that thing, because when he first heard of the thing, they said, oh, well, you know, you introduced Harriet to do this. He goes, who, what are you talking about? This is a kid's comic. This isn't, this isn't a, uh, I mean, uh, homosexual, where does that come up in anybody's mind about this? I mean, he was a really old school guy. He came out of the RKO motion pictures. It would never occur to him to think that somebody would think that Batman and Robin was a homosexual couple. That was that was something he was outraged about when he heard about it. That's interesting. So yeah, it's been it's kind of been bounced around and talked about and all this stuff. But but when Dozier first heard about it, you can find the interview somewhere with him. Then he goes, oh, "That's just that's just horrid. What type of people are you?" <laughs> Next question. That's so funny because I read because what I read was a Dozier quote saying that that's why he introduced. Um, Aunt Harriet. Um, so that's funny. Well, you know, I mean, you're the historian, so you would know the actual story. But I think it's funny that both, I mean, that's literally opposite stories. And that, and that also explains just how much mystery there was around the show and how much speculation and, and you know, flat out, you know, elaboration and, um, you know, lies, frankly. There's tons of myths about the show. There's myths like, you know, that the, the, the NBC was interested in picking it up. And they couldn't pick it up because the uh, sets were struck. That's a total myth, too. So, I mean, there's lots of things. Well, now, hold on a second. That's because that's that's like the that's the epilogue of the Batman Bat book. And that's, um, you know, th- what you just said about NBC. That's Yvonne. That's a quote from Yvonne Craig, who played Batman. Yvonne Craig, yeah. who was an actress who had been in- integrally part of the uh, uh, negotiations, wouldn't she? No, no, she's not. No, no. We, I talked to both the producers on the show, and I talked to uh, Fox, the, the the head of Fox at the time, William Self, and neither one of them said that they were uh, there was any any other network that was even remotely interested in it. And also, when I talked to uh, George Kramer, the the uh, the if if you saw how much uh, ABC and and Fox had cut that last season, you'd realize that it was it was not. It was it was not a um, um, I don't want to say it, it's, it was an antagonistic thing, but they they weren't really happy with what uh, uh, Batman was doing financially at that time in the last season, and they would never have even thought of picking it up. And I don't think any network with the numbers that they were looking at would have thought of picking it up. And I mean, it's just you know it's, it's a sad thing to say, and it's a, kind of a terrible thing to say, but. Uh, um, it's uh, unfortunately, it's just like any other any other processes that it's, it's not making money or it's not selling to the the audience that it wanted to sell to, then the network cancels. I mean, it's just that's how shows get canceled. You know, oh, it's I mean, the it's business, just, the business of television. It's the business. Yeah. It's just how it is. In truth, um, it was a really costly show to do. They cut their budget terribly in the last season terribly if you just take a look at the sets and the design and the the amount of episodes and and all the rest and in that last season with batgirl uh i'm afraid you you can you can see the writing on the wall and uh, uh they had lost uh, uh you know it, it, it was it's not as popular in that third season as it was in the other two seasons 
I mean, if you can just go back and look at the numbers. Yeah, no, I, I believe that. Well, so I want to finish up because I want to come back to that because I think that's a whole separate topic that I'm interested in. So the the unique things about Batman. So Aunt Harriet at least was in the comic book two seasons or two years before she came into the show. You know, the fact that it was on twice a week. I don't know that I remember a show that had a two-parter within the week. So it aired on Wednesdays Peyton and Thursdays. Place. Which one? Peyton's Place? Peyton Place. Oh, okay, okay. Peyton Place, done by Fox Studios. Done through 20th Century Fox. This was this. It was the model that they used to uh, to uh, break uh, Batman apart into two separate uh, uh, half-hour shows. Interesting. I mean, it's just it's so cool because you you wouldn't see that nowadays, and that would be a, you know a week apart or everything dropped at once. Um, Cesar Romero's mustache. So he was an actor who played the Joker, and he refused to yeah. shave his mustache. I think he took the part under the. Uh, from what I understood, that he took the part saying in advance he was not going to shave his mustache and then they just painted right. over it and so you can see right. his mustache in every scene that he's in which is really funny um the silly tech they say it's funnier that way they didn't care <laughs> it was so silly um, but um but it's so, so unique to that joker you know um mm-hmm. the list of you know the silly technology that actually kind of ramped up as the series went on the show the, the stuff yeah. kind of got sillier and sillier um, I also I loved the Don Martin esque words during the fights, and in the Bat Book they have what they say is a comprehensive list of all the words used in the fight. So when they, you know when Batman would throw a punch, you know the zow, zip. Uh, some of my favorites were Kersplosh, Zlonk, Quinac. Uh They did a whole bunch of these things that would pop on the screen. That was really new. I think that was kind of a new thing that they did for that show. Um, right. Mr. Freeze. I-, I didn't know this. This was great. Mr. Freeze was called Mr. Zero in the comics, and he yeah. kind of became Mr. Freeze. I think that um, one of the executive producers changed the name, and it really stuck. And he's also the only villain in the show that was played by three different actors. You're right. In the show, during the show, this history, yes. And three very different, different, different actors you couldn't have in the world playing Mr. Freeze. And also three different Mr. Freezes. I mean, they're totally all different. One guy's normal in like a cold room. Another guy's got white skin and bald. And then the next guy's got white skin. And I mean, they're so different. I mean, you know, the, the glittery makeup that they were wearing is very, very different. Well, it is very different. And what, what I mean, the that was out of necessity. And if, if you and it's, here, here, get down to the practical legs of it and not the, 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 the mystery of it is that George Sanders couldn't, said he couldn't act in a helmet to save his life. He hated the helmet. The pickup, the the pickup that he had, because when he went out in public and not inside his this cold is the room, first Mister Freeze, the first Mister, the first Mister mm-hmm. Freeze, and and the pickup was trying to get the mic in there to do it and not echo cavernously, and it was, it was a heck of a problem to shoot. So the uh, next time you see Mr. Freeze, you'll see that he is helmetless with a bunch of nozzles around his neck, which supposedly spray enough cold air for him to uh, be out of it. And then Otto Preminger wanted to, to spice up his makeup and add the orange uh, uh, eyebrows and, and add the maniacal laugh and the whole bit. That's the second he Mr. Freeze. Juiced it. Right, the second Mr. Freeze, uh, Preminger. And Eli Wallach, I think, came in and did the job. I mean, I don't think anything was done special for him to do that. But the uh, but uh, the first two freezes are are it, it changes its look according to uh, 
you know, as a, from the first to the second, certainly for t- through the technical problems, and it's it's not anything. And I think it actually made Otto's Mister Freeze much more fun to watch than uh, Sanders. Right? No, I I agree because Sanders is just a guy sitting in a room, basically. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I think that's right. But I think what's what's amazing about that is that really, in some ways, is the prototype for the Mister Freeze of today. I mean, he oh, really, definitely. really um, turned that character into a legitimate villain in um, Batman's Rogues Gallery, which I just, I had no idea about that. But you know who really did the, 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 the modern-day Mr. Freeze as, as you have him now is that's Bruce Timm. That's a guy on the animated series who, who did that first incredible storyline that made uh, uh, Freeze so sympathetic. I mean, the history of his, of his wife being in a, in a uh, cold storage and all the rest came out of, you know, came, there, you'll see a line in the Batman 60 show about, uh, you know, he lost his mind when he lost his wife, the poor, the poor soul, you know, I mean, it's, it's uh, an Adam West line. And, uh, but so the, the, the hints of the storyline were there, but to pull it together and to make the Mr. Freeze, the villain that he is now, you have to, you have to thank Bruce Tim for, for pulling that together in the animated series. No, I, I believe that. I think the animated series, you know, is probably the most influential on the Batman mythos. I mean, especially the Batman storylines. I mean, I think it's way more influential than the Batman 66 TV show for that respect, only because I think the narratives, the storylines were really important then. And I I don't think the storylines were all that important in the 66 television series, especially because in the pilot episode, I mean, the Bruce Wayne's entire raison d'etre, you know, his parents getting killed and him taking on the mantle of Batman to fight the forces of crime. That's like a throwaway line halfway through the episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just kind of tossed away. Well, it wasn't you know? that important. The 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 first series didn't. The sixty six series didn't have the same um, cachet and depth of 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 what Michael Earthlin has has built under after in response to the show. Yeah, I remember that all, everything that the TV show and the movies and all the stuff that that uh, the Dark Knight that we have. Today, the response to well, Dark Knight was a response to to uh, uh, the the '66 Batman, the costume and stuff and design was the blockiness of the thing in the early Batman comic strips, and, um, and and that's Frank Miller's Dark Knight, as I'm referring to as a comic a comic, was a response to this early era, and the um, uh, the dark, super dark. Uh, Batman uh, in the in the feature films, the all black costume, the yellow stuff. That was Michael Uslan's, uh He hated this, the, the Batman '66 show. It's a, it's a complete. He wrote about it. He wrote about it in his, in his uh, autobiography and his, his, or his memoir that he was so outraged by seeing his hero made fun of on national television that he, he vowed to, uh, to, to set the record straight, and uh, came back and secured the rights to Batman when no one was interested in Batman because no one thought that they could out out uh, uh, influence the old Batman TV show because it was incredibly influential. Don't, do not, do not uh, underestimate the power of the original 66 Batman show. It went worldwide. It was syndicated while it was in production, while it was showing in America. It was showing in, in uh, a dozen or so countries. It was showing in England, Peru, Japan. At the time, it was running here. So the Adam West Batman, the 66 Batman, was a, a media monster, but it instilled a certain uh, expectation in audiences about Batman that 
Uslan could not could not stand. It drove him nuts. So he 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 got to inquire the rights. And if you look even to today, he controls the entire Batman licensing franchise and the films to the to the games to everything because he was it, it, first of all he made a ton of money with his version and Warner Brothers just left him in charge of it because he obviously was doing something right. So, um, but that's a, a backlash to this this TV show. So in a, in a weird way, all your grim dark. Batman that currently exists now is because this show existed then. Right. <laughs> and I think that's exactly that's exactly my point is it was so influential for several different reasons, both positive mm-hmm. and in, yeah, I don't want to say negative, but definitely counter, right? Like you know, there's a counter right. movement to it. Um but all because of this TV the popularity of this TV series. Uh, I got to get to this one because this one is this one really interests me. I had no idea that Alfred Pennyworth, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's faithful butler was killed off in the comics in 1964 came back as some right. weird telekinetic zombie um but he was so popular <laughs> in the tv show that he was revived yep. and kind of revamped in the comic book series yep. as the guy we yep. know today thanks to um a- alan napier i think was the one who was played him right. uh and he just did such a great job and really the alfred of today owes everything to to you know mr napier I want to talk about one other thing, and then I want to jump into what you talked about because I think it's interesting. But you know, just to put a button on this, you mentioned the Riddler, Frank Gorshin, who played the Riddler. He had a skin tight suit that he has in the first episode, and in the Batman Bat Book, I'm going to put an ep- I'm going to put uh, on on my social media. I'm going to put a picture of this picture in the Batman Bat Book of Frank Gorshin as the Riddler because that that suit inspired me to dress up like the Riddler when I was eight years old, and I'm going to put a picture of oh, that man. up, which is great. But as you cool. as you mentioned, <laughs> What's so fun is he hated that suit, and then they had, yeah. and that was so it was like a skin tight leotard, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And then so he had someone designed a an actual suit, like a three piece suit for him with little question marks right. all over it. He wore that, and as you mentioned, that is what became popular in the comic books. And I think that that's a really fun new th- thing that really kept on. Well, you, you got to remember the skin tight suit appeared in the comic books in the sixties. Right, right. It right, wasn't right. until it wasn't really until the Batman animated series that the bowler hat came back. <laughs> that the suit that he wore in the thing came back during the Batman animated the series animated that series. influenced the comic books. Yeah. Where you now have the the see these shows in, impact the comics. The comics impact yeah. are that were the this jumping off off point. But the culture reach of a TV show like Batman and or a movie or an animated show is so much broader. I mean, uh, the difference between Warner and Marvel until Marvel caught on was Warner understood that licensing from the, from the very beginning, from the adventures of Superman, where they could take a product and they could license it nationwide and they could make a ton of money on just the licensing. As a matter of fact, at one time in DC's history, the licensing department was making more money than the comic book company. And it was clear, and I bet you it's probably the same today, I would think. Because comic books have limited distribution today, and the uh, movies are everywhere. Well, I will tell you just 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 to cut in there, because what I think I, I I think that was true back then, and I think you're exactly right. But the thing that that I believe Marvel does well, and DC and Warner Brothers have not done well, is sell a good story. Because what Marvel's done is they tell right. great stories, and then the money follows. With with DC, Bat, and this is I was going to make this point about Batman is you've got so many 
iterations, reinventions of Batman. I mean, I think there was a Batman by it's a Gotham by Gaslight, which is Batman in like the 1800s fighting Jack the Ripper. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are interesting. But nothing's coherent, you know? I mean, you just had uh, – I don't, I don't want to go on a rant here, but this is like what annoys me about <laughs> Batman because I love Batman so much. But you just had – you know, you had Zack Snyder, them, them redoing Batman, Batman versus Superman. You got all this Batman stuff coming out. You got Suicide Squad with Harley Quinn. You got that whole thing. And then you put out a movie like Joker, which has nothing to – it's the Joker, but it has nothing to do with Batman. It doesn't have anything to do with the Joker that was in any of the movies. It's like how many reinventions are you going to have? How many times do you want to sell the same movie and that's and, and my point is it's not just a rant there's a point here believe it or not and i think it, ha- it i think it comes back to that licensing thing that you're talking about and the idea is to make money on the licensing we don't care about the narrative construction and we don't care about the long-term effects because batman will always be popular and i think marvel went the opposite way and said we're going to take these characters and just make creative storylines and you don't have to watch everything like wandavision was just on you know you don't have to watch that but it's interesting and that's the comic book formula that worked and i think that's why they're more popular and more successful well i think that's why marvel became more popular and successful than dc in the latter half of last century i think until you you uh uh they they had these interlocking storylines and interlocking characters and you had to follow a continuity Mm -hmm. and writers had headaches up the yin-yang because if they wanted to use captain america they had to make sure they didn't write anything that 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 went against the canon that was in the comic book yeah yeah it's the strength and the weakness of of both of those those companies. Mm-hmm. The strength about Bat, about DC's way about it is that you have a whole different uh, property in Japan. Right? Yeah, Batman. yeah, yeah. You have an That's entirely fair. different set of characters. You have an entirely different world being set up there, and for the Japanese audience, they love it. It is canon to them. It is what they what they adore, and 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 here in the U.S. That you know, if you didn't have somebody who allowed Dark Knight to be published, because it was definitely of all the Frank Miller's Dark Knight comic thing, of all the the DC spinoffs, uh, that was definitely not canon. That was definitely not. But it became its own. It, the property blew up, and uh, it changed the course of of. Uh, Television, I mean, feature films and uh, the comic book world. It's because they experimented. They allowed people to do. It. They allowed ever since Batman uh, first DC Comics, you had the the what is now called Elseworld stories, and they, you can have Gotham by Gaslight. You can have this over here, this alternate history, this alternate history come up, and fans will find the one that they like. Fans will demand to see that those characters in, in the main book if they're popular enough. Harlequin proves it. Harlequin came out of the TV show. There was no Harlequin before then, and she was so popular. Oops, oh, wait, she's now in comic books. Oh, wait, now she's part of, of the cinema universe. Now she has her own movie. DC right? yeah. Has, <laughs> yeah. yeah, DC has its own way of doing things. It doesn't. I don't think it's a fan. I don't think fans love the fact that there's 19 multiple versions of of Batman out there. But I I I don't see I don't see the corporation changing its mind anytime soon. Well, no, and I think, but it's you know, and I say that every look to each his own. I'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum, right? I mean, some people like that yeah. approach, and that's fine. It's it's not for me. Sure. I like the Marvel approach. I like the co the the the, the, the you know the coherent storyline that doesn't really. 
um, you know, it doesn't really counter, you know, counteract and, and contradict itself. So I, I like that's me personally, right? Um, that's okay. It's just a different mentality yeah, yeah, yeah. on how they approach storytelling. And, and that's yeah. fine. And I think it's kind of why Warner Brothers has had a really hard time launching anything but Batman and the Joker, right? Like, like literally in the past 20 years, they haven't launched any franchise that didn't contain Batman or the Joker. And I think that that's an inherent, that shows you an inherent problem with their inability or, or at least rigidity in, in finding the uniqueness in characters. And, and I think that what this show did is it really did find this kind of, you, the unique threads that were so appealing to the culture at the time. And as you mentioned, it came at the right time and they found, you know, William Dozier and, and, and Semple found, found those things, found those really cool creative, um, creative staples. And I want to talk about something here because I want to go back to the beginning, okay? And we we've kind of been jumping around, but there's a couple. I got I got a lot of questions. I got I got to find out about this show because I want to know if this is an apocryphal story or not. But I'll give you I'll give you the gist. I'm sure you will either have heard this story or know the real story. But that this particular that that Batman came out of a it was basically recommended by a low level ABC executive, and and. That executive had seen a lot of the screenings of the old superhero shows, the old George Reeves, Superman, Batman and Robin shows at um, Playboy Mansion with Hefner. And I don't know if that story is true, but also that they were looking up the most popular comic books at the time. And number one was Superman, but the rights were tied up. Dick Tracy was number two, but that was NBC was looking at that for a show. Batman was number three, and it was available, and that's why they went with Batman. Is are there nuggets of truth in that story? Uh, I mean, did the origin of this? There are nuggets. There are nuggets of truth. It's a very simplistic way of doing it. The um, okay, uh, you're, you're, uh, Yale Udolph was that that low level executive that brought Batman into the fray, and and he did for a very specific reason. And now I'll, I'll we can go into this. The um, the network, the guy who went was was partners with the guy who went off and went made Get Smart. The, his name is George Kramer, and he eventually went on to produce Dynasty, and he went on to produce stuff like uh, Wonder Woman. And he, he became the king of the miniseries back in the seventies uh, uh, and the eighties. But he uh, he was a young man with, with uh, uh, on this Batman uh, project. Somebody might have seen the Playboy Mansion in making the decision, but it had nothing to do with how this this thing got created. So this this show wasn't this created in the Playboy Mansion because that's a pretty cool story. It was okay, not created right, in the right. Playboy Mansion, but they might have seen it. That might it was it was it was happening. Okay. But the Playboy Mansion at that time was in Chicago. Right. Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, and nobody that I talked to in this initial thing was in Chicago, so uh, it kind of it kind of sounds really cool. Um, and it it did it was going on concurrently. And they were running the Columbia serials in movie theaters. Okay. okay. Uh, nobody in this group of people that created uh, the Batman TV show actually was in that circle that would see. And it. by Columbia serials, um, you mean the old Batman and Superman shows? They were made the old by Batman Columbia. serials. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Was well, you're right. It looks like someone at ABC did a poll and had a, a hit list of, of properties that they wanted. The story goes that they were went after D, they went after Dick Tracy. Why? Because Dick Tracy was had a history on television. It would be cheap to produce. All they had to do was makeup. They had a makeup department that you know Fox could handle. They looked at uh, 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 a villain of the week, which is what they wanted to do, a villain of the week, and they and and negotiations fell through and they were ticked. So now you got to remember they have they they lost Get Smart. They were ticked about 
about losing Dick Tracy, and they were having one of these discussions in the offices of what are we going to do, how are we going to do this thing, and all this stuff. And a young man in that office said, you know, I think, you know, I think Batman would work. And he went downstairs and he bought, bought some magazines at the newsstand and came up into the office and said, guys, this is, this is what you're, you know, this is, it's our criteria. It's a, it's a uh, hero who's been around. He's, you know, comic books are worldwide. And he's got, uh, uh, you know, he didn't have the, the cachet of Superman. He didn't have the cachet of, of anybody else. Uh, he was, uh, uh, I mean, he was the second most popular DC comic at that time. No matter what people say that it was going to be canceled, chances are that it would never have been canceled. But the, um, uh, but it was. I mean, it wasn't having great sales. And they, they, but it has the villains. It has this. Look at look at this. You got the Joker. You got Penguin. You got all these these people. Strikingly similar to Dick Tracy, by the way. When you really think about it, right, mm-hmm. right. And that's what the, he was thinking of. That's what this Hill Udolph was thinking of. And he, he remembered he was a kid and used to play with Batman. The other ABC exec that I was talking to you about, George Kramer, who was part of the deal who wanted to bring the the spy, uh, you know, the action to television, also was a big Batman fan. As a matter of fact, he idolized Bob Kane. He was uh, he, he, he and his brother dressed up as Batman and Robin when they went trick or treating. So when Udolf came in and said, "Hey, what about Batman?" All of a sudden, Kramer's mind got made up in the back of his head. We're going to do Batman. <laughs> and he said. <laughs> so and so, what he did was, he said, "Okay, boss, I think this is a good idea. I'm going to go talk to Bob Kane. Why? Because he wanted to talk to Bob <laughs> Kane. He never met him. He right, was twenty right. something years old. Here's a chance. A- ABC is going to send me to talk right. to Bob Kane. <laughs> so he did. And and Bob Kane, just for those listening who don't know, he's the creator of Batman. Bob Kane is the actual creator of Batman, uh, the Batman character." And so he was. George, you know, was wanted to, or Doug wanted to, uh, um, uh, meet his 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 favorite. And they they got along well. And he said, "Well, well, you, I'll work on my boss, basically. And Bob, you'd call up National and tell him you want to do this." And um, between the two of them, it, the Zeitgeist came up, and the 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 show got picked up at ABC. That's 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 how it really worked. Now, there might have been Playboy stuff going on, but. It, it wasn't an influence in this part. There's two fanboys who, in their in their role in television in the 20s, when no one knew what they were doing on TV, got this done. <laughs> They're like the first fanboys, yeah. Right when there were no fanboys. I mean, there was uh, yeah, there there was there was no there was no direct comic sales industry. There were no comic shops. There, I mean, or maybe a few in New York, but there was no. This was these are two guys who grew up. Like you and I grew up watching Batman. They grew up uh, watching, uh, uh, reading uh, Batman comics, and wanted to be Batman. Well, so so they get the show. It's greenlit at ABC, and they bring a couple people on. So they bring in William Dozier. Um, and now, what, what? Here's what. I, there's a couple things here that I want to talk about because this was really funny to me. And so the way, really, the comedy comes from, and as we mentioned, it's similar to Get Smart. And for those who don't know, that's a that's a kind of like a it's a parody of the the James Bond shows and it's played with this with it's very it's very everything is very seriously delivered like kind of leslie nielsen during the naked gun era for you know i and and what i love is so this is from what i understand these are a couple different quotes uh from william and and charles fitzsimmons who i believe was his assistant uh and i don't they said assistant but i don't think assistant meant the same thing back then as it does now because charles fitzsimmons seemed to have had quite a bit of power um way more than someone just who answers phones i think it's fitzsimmons 
Or Fitzsimons. I'm sorry. I think it's Fitzsimons because he's an Irishman. Go ahead. Oh, that makes okay. That makes sense. So <laughs> the goal. So from what I understand, the goal was to make the series fun for adults and appealing to kids. And so, so Fitzsimons said it was a tough search for actors because you had to find an actor who was prepared to play Alice in Wonderland as if it were Hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then William Dozier said. <laughs> Um, everything had to be played with the seriousness of dropping a bomb on Hiroshima with deadly seriousness. Now, that's a little insensitive, especially in the 60s. But I, uh, hey, but he I think thought that, in that war, pal. He can say nasty things about the Japs. But that's another thing. Go ahead. <laughs> but the point remains, though, is that was really the goal here. And yeah. as you watch it, you know, I, I've watched several episodes, and – and I, it, it's true. I mean, I remember actually who struck me as being the most serious were Adam West and um, and Neil Hampton, I believe, who plays Commissioner Hamilton. Gordon Hamilton. Um, they they both are so serious in their roles, and it's true. That's really what sells it is you're not playing it for laughs. The laughs come by just how seriously you're taking the the wackiness around you. And I think this really appealed to me because in a lot of ways, with some of the projects that I do, that's the approach that I take. Like I've got a show about pop culture technology, right? And the jokes right. for all that come from looking at the physics of a Tom and Jerry cartoon, not to plug myself on the show, but you know, <laughs> on the, the most previous episode, we talked about the, car- the cartoon physics of Tom and Jerry, and you talk about it with seriousness and with scientists. It's funny. You know, I grew up on pro wrestling. They take something right. that's choreographed and they tell you like it's, you know, it's pretend as if it's really happening. Um, and it's that's where the humor and the comedy and the entertainment come in. And they really captured that. And I think that's why this show really appealed to me. If you look through the season notes on uh, that uh, uh, Semple uh, wrote to the, to the scripts, it was always he had two things had two things in mind always in that is the budget of the show because the thing is he knew that Dozier was going to spend more money than God on this on the show anyway whether whatever he said but he always wanted to to try to keep it within reason and and, and you know to work so that there was some sort of level that it would operate on where it didn't look totally preposterous the and and the other thing was that he wrote in his bad bible says you know don't let adam west do any takes to the camera saying you know winking to his malibu friends that he would uh that he's in on the joke don't let that happen just don't let the actors ever portraits point out any of the the plot absurdities, any of the the the, the stuff, that's not how this works. This this show can't work that way. You'll see in the last season there were a couple of times when they. they I they was just co- I was just going to yes. say because I was watching um, and I believe it was the, one of the ones with 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 Batgirl where Commissioner Gordon looks at the camera and delivers a line and I was like oh no this is this is why the show is going downhill and I was like oh they ugh. they handed they handed the show over to three comedians to run the the last season and it shows terribly that how how they did it they didn't understand the show as far as the work but Semple never let that happen in any script passed by him and he's held it uh tightly the the, the, the his most outrageous take in 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 his that he's sinful of in, in doing it is in the in the movie when when batman looks at the camera and goes someday you just can't get rid of a bomb right uh, yeah, 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 and yeah. it's one of the most popular uh, uh quotes ever in the history of the show yeah, but, so, not- <laughs> but 
he was breaking his own rules in that in that in that shot. Yeah, but for sure. Because um, sometimes sometimes it matters. That was an interesting story because that was supposed to come out before the series to get everyone used to it, and everything went so quickly. No, that it, is that not no. true? Dozier did talk about doing a feature film, but it was all talk. He had no way of of, of setting that up to do it. Uh, you can look at the correspondence. He he was the one pushing to do it that way. And uh, but there was no way to do it because by the time they created, the, by the time they got the show kicking and rolling, they were they were airing. So the the right. So Semple wrote it. I mean, it, it was written during the course of the first season, but the um, the plan the plan if it had been ideally if the, if the, if, the, if that season before that half season that ABC did as their second season if that had not tanked. Yeah, maybe there would have been a feature film put out the summer before, and it would have been different than what you ended up with because it would have been, um, uh, it, it wouldn't had it would have been had been had to be more set up instead of just a uh, continuing adventure. It, it, it changed the nature of everything. ABC was the driving force behind it, and they they didn't really make movies that way. Uh, in their uh, in their plans, though Peyton Place was extremely successful for them with the with the Peyton Place movie and then coming out and going into the TV series, uh, and they they might have okayed it, but heck, they didn't even know if it was going to be an hour show to a half hour show until like you no know, two months before it aired. So, so, so yeah, talk of the movie is great. It would have been great. It's what Dozier wanted to do. It it wasn't set up, and then when they did get around to doing it, it changed the nature of what the feature film would have been. So that's interesting because when the feature film, not, not to nerd out here, so I'll only take a few seconds here, but I, when I remember seeing the movie, and basically not to spoil anything because I think you guys should watch it if you if you haven't already. Batman and Robin fight six villains, like the six top villains, um, all at the same time, and. In some ways, you know, kind of what makes – when you see a movie franchise, especially Batman, it starts out with one villain, then the next movie has two villains, and then if it gets to three villains, at that point, that particular cycle of movies is probably coming to an end, right? When you have to keep ramping up this, you know, ramping up the the strength of the villains and the number of villains is probably out. So considering he fights one villain per week – it would seem like a, that would be an, an almost a nuclear acceleration of the number of villains you would fight. And I would think that that would almost, had they put that out before the series, would have shot them in the foot for the series, in my opinion, creatively. I don't know if that's true be. or not. You know, that's just kind of what it I could think. Be. It, it could be that there was always plot to use all the major villains, but they, they didn't know who the ma- most the major villains would have been. I mean, they, right. they, 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 they yeah. hadn't cast them. Right. They they didn't they didn't have you know they would have had to do all the casting and all the stuff after the pilot, and so yeah it's it's one of those things that if 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 yeah it could have been you might be completely and totally right I don't know right and we'll <laughs> never know so I'll just we'll just say that I'm right because I there's no you're way to right. prove it you're right you're exactly the you're exactly <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing the next book I'm writing the addendums dang it um, so I want to get to I want to get to two things before we finish here, and that is the first one is Adam West, right? Like he really be- this he becomes Batman so well that it almost ruins his career. Um, and his way to the way he got cast from it, what it I understand did ruin his career for a long time. I, I know, and it's unfortunate because he really. I mean, it's the downside of 
of kind of being so good at your job. Um, but from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong here, he got cast because Dozier wanted an actor named Ty Harden, but he was unavailable. And at the time, um, Harden's agent pitched Adam West, who was a new client for him at the time. Right. And Dozier saw this Nestle Quick commercial, which I'll, I'll put up on the website, of him basically doing like a James Bondy type thing, selling Nestle Quick. And I yeah. believe that's how he got cast. Yeah. Um, and, and it's almost like his approach and his Shatner-esque approach you know, in some ways really is what sold him to the producers, right? That's all right. Everything you have there is correct. Oh, cool. <laughs> and so let me put an addendum on that because I want to I – this. As I, a I matter of this, fact, let's, uh-huh. let's put it this way. I'll tell yeah. you, I'll tell you how, how much he was cast. You know what screen tests are, right? Okay, well, uh, the studio demanded screen, screen tests on it. Uh, and so they uh, they knew they they knew Adam West was 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 going to do it. So they didn't tell Adam West it was really an actual screen test screen test that if the studio didn't like him he would have been out the door. But they were willing to fight for him. So what they did they set up the screen test. They they, they did two actors. Uh, they put uh, uh, Adam with the with uh, Bert because they 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 loved that combination. They made that the most powerful. And then they went in, and instead of just a screen test, which is normal, which is in a standing set that that uh, uh, is is done, you know, like on a, on a lot when someone's not shooting there, they went off and they, <laughs> because Irwin Allen was on the same lot, they went and they they stole a bunch of science fiction equipment from Irwin Allen, and they brought it over to this 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 empty soundstage, and they set up a whole bat cave looking thing, and then there they did the thing in order to sell Adam West to the the uh, the, sh- the the series. Mm. They did the same thing with Lyle Wagner and, and uh, I can't remember the other Peter Dial. Uh, uh, Peter Dial. They did and they they did it ran through, but I mean I have a feeling if you look at the two things, you pretty much can see that. They wanted Adam West to do it, and they sold him to the the, the studio that way. Because um, uh, so they really wanted Adam West. As a matter of fact, it was it was. I mean, Adam. I don't, I don't know if Adam was under contract already, or, but he was the, like like the first person signed on the show uh, that was was of the principals because they knew they wanted him from that, from the commercial, from that, and the screen test they did locked it tight. And I have I actually found on YouTube um, Wagner and Dial's uh, their screen test. So I'm going to put that up. I'm going to see if I can find Adam. Yeah, West's go ahead, put it up. Test. You can yeah, pull up both fun. of them because it really is a different. I think you can tell that they wanted Adam West, but then again, that's me. You know, I I look at something differently, than, and you look at it differently, and you'll go, "Oh no, why? Okay, I don't understand why they never used Lyle Wagner." What? <laughs> no, no. I, it, it, there's, there's immediately you go, yeah. "Oh yeah, okay, I see." <laughs> yeah, even I mean, even Burt Ward gets he gets it totally. And and so you can we can follow all of this, the stuff we talked about, and some of the stuff we haven't talked about in your great book, which is called Batman: A Celebration of the Classic TV Series. So, where can people find that book and find you if they want to find out? more well you can uh go to uh uh titan books uh website they're the publisher of it but basically amazon carries it amazon carries it here there uh, amazon carried it in mexico uh there's a french edition that came out that's carried in europe uh you can uh, the book is still in print and uh, which is nice really good and uh, it's fun. You'll like it. Some of the topics, you know, like the cancellation stuff, isn't in the book because it didn't really fit this this book about the show. Um, and it, uh, you know, and both 
this talk and the book don't have enough about the Batmobile, which is my single complaint because the Batmobile was was the third character on that show. <laughs> it was Batman, Robin, and the Batmobile. Other than that, that show would never have got anywhere. <laughs> uh, I agree. Do you have ten minutes to talk about the Batmobile? Because I got a couple questions I want to ask. I, I I do have ten minutes. I love the Batmobile. I'll talk about the Batmobile almost as long as I'll talk about the show. I, I think that this is exactly right. It's, it's a seminal work. Uh, I love Batman, and I know you do too. And I want to thank you so much for taking so much time out to talk to me about my favorite television show of my youth. So thank you for being on the show today. Sure. It's my pleasure. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Now, if you listened and you loved this show, you've got to subscribe. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. We also have an audio version on YouTube. So please go there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn, and you can subscribe, like, comment on all the episodes right there. I, I answer all of the comments that get put onto my onto the videos there. Uh, you can also go to the website that we have, fascinatingnouns.com is your best source for every episode that we have in both audio and video form. And you can f- follow us on social media. You can find links to the shows, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and of course, the YouTube channel, all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. Next to that, you can you can click on your favorite podcasting platform. We can make it so easy. FascinatingNouns.com is the place to go. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.